With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour, episode number three, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news, reviews and opinions. My name's Dan Wood. I'm Ravi Abbott. And this week we are joined by Joe Fox. Hello, Joe. Hello, Dan. Thank you for having me today. Hey, now, Joe. Uh, Joe's been a mate of mine for years now and, you know, we often have uh, retro gaming nights and um, I have been known to have the odd uh, rage quit when Joe beats me at games. Yeah, the odd, uh, <laughs> the odd scranny, that happens uh, almost every week. Um, we had a road trip to the uh, winter warmer. We did, didn't we? We yeah. did, yeah the first time I met Ravi. You won't shake him <laughs> off now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so what kind of systems did you grow up with then, Joe? Um, so I grew up with a Sega Mega Drive. Um, mm-hmm. I was born, we had one in the household, and uh, that was mine and my older brother's baby. So uh, Mega Drive all the way. And then uh, my uncle, my auntie, and my cousins all had a Super Nintendo. So mm-hmm. kind of grew up in the 16-bit era. Excellent. Well, great to have you on the show, Joe. Oh, cheers. And, Thank uh, you again. Speaking of guests as well, a little bit later, every week on the show we do have someone who's pretty high profile in the world of video games. And uh, this week... What a guess you've lined up for us, Ravi. Yeah, we've got Paul Jury, an old friend of mine that actually works on Retro Gamer magazine and he lectures in video game journalism. So he's a really, really smart guy who's been around for a long time, so he can have some great stories. <laughs> he's on the Bedroom Stabilians documentary as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, featured on that as well. So he'll be on in about 35, 40 minutes. Before then, though, should we crack on with this week's big retro stories? Yeah, let's roll. Now, the first one, um, have you heard of a game called... I have no mouth and I must scream. Yes. No. Fifty <laughs> fifty down the floor here. So uh, based, based on a book. It was, yeah. From the sixties. Who wrote the book? Um I believe it was Harlan Ellison. There we go. Yeah, no, nineteen sixty eight. Have you played the game? No, I haven't. I've read about it and uh, watched reviews mm-hmm. and watched a trailer for the new version of it. Um, but I've not played it myself, but I understand it's a point and click. It is, yeah. Well, this yeah. is a story that now they're bringing it out on iOS and Android. Now, this was a game that came out, I think it was about 1995. Yeah. And it was a point-and-click game. But the thing about it is the book is really surreal, and it's based on, basically, humanity's had a Cold War, and yeah. then they've given supercomputers. It's a bit like Terminator, really. So then these um, supercomputers have taken over the world. Most of humanity's died off, and one of the computers has, has become self-aware. Okay. And that machine's called Am. And what it wants to do is it keeps, like, five humans alive, and it wants to torture them and just make their lives hell because it hates humans. <laughs> so basically, this game, it's an unbeatable video game. There's no way of winning it at all. Oh. The decisions you make in the game either choose whether you uh, have a worthwhile and, like, you know, a pleasant death. Or it's kind <laughs> so of like really so the, the aim is to uh, die the least possible worst way. Yeah, in, in the least horrible way, essentially, yeah, so... <laughs> And it, it was a game that came out back in the mid-90s, but the fact they're bringing it out now on uh, iOS and Android, so, you know... Touchscreen. Ra- and- rather than playing Candy Crush on the train, you can play yeah. uh, a game about <laughs> Choose torturous death. death. <laughs> torturous death, hopefully you don't get, your, uh, yeah, don't get killed too badly. <laughs> Sounds really dark, but uh, interesting. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. For as little as uh, two ninety nine, I believe. <laughs> yeah, so not a bad price. You know, so it's worth a go just for being you know, a unique you know, innovation that you can't actually win this game, so... Mm. Links will be in the show notes like we do every week. Another thing I was reading this week as well is uh, an article that was in a Game Noir magazine, and there was a video I watched as well that I've been trying to find, and I can't find it for the life of me. But basically, the, the topic is, why do we call it retro gaming? Hmm. If you watch an old movie, for example, we don't call it retro movieing. 
No, it's no, like classic cinema, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or if you, you know. listen to like you know an old song, it's not you're not listening. You, know. you don't even class it as like yeah. You don't really say what year it yeah. came out or anything. But it's a big deal with gaming, isn't it? So. Would you call it like you know retro musicing if you're listening to like eighties music or whatever? You know what I mean? It does make an interesting point why gaming, you know, is pretty unique. The fact that it's got that retro prefix I, before. I it. think maybe they also in the nineties they had this whole next generation thing. Which yeah. is, super you know, consoles. Yeah, super so consoles. maybe everything pre that is next generation. But some people are saying like Xbox 360s retro. No, that, no, that's a really good question. When does it become retro gaming? When when do you say this is retro? Because yeah. you see like Guitar Hero and people go, oh yeah, that's retro gaming. And you go, well, no, it's not. But then you realise it came out 10 years ago, the yeah. first one. So you're like, when's, when's the cutoff point? When's the start point to call it retro? Well, do, do you ever go on um, 4chan? I've got a retro gaming yeah. um, page on there. And they... It's really weird, though. They class the Dreamcast as retro, but nothing else from the sixth generation. Yeah, so what What? Yeah. What about PS2? Yeah, they don't class that. I think it's because you have a cut-off of 1999. Yeah. But then a lot of them on there, like, you know, that the PS2 will never be considered retro because it came out this century, so... But then there's also vintage gaming, and whenever yeah. I hear vintage gaming, I think, I think of well, Atari. I think, I think of the Odyssey, like the wood era of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not wood grain, it isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, not vintage. But it's not vintage. <laughs> but it, I think one of the reasons that it does get that prefix attached here is because it's such a fast-moving industry, though, as well, isn't it? You know, you look at music and films, and obviously films look different now to what they did 30 years ago, but I think, you know, you even look five years ago in gaming, it, it develops a lot quicker, so... Yeah. And I guess it's who's calling it retro. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a little kid, then everything's going to be retro to them. Yeah. yeah. But with us, it's... You know. Yeah. The 3DS, are retro, Dad. Oh, talking of that, they've just actually released a 2DS limited edition version. Uh, okay. Because of uh, Pokemon. Oh, I've seen that. That's, yeah. That's, oh, yeah, that's definitely up my street. I'm like, you know, I was almost almost with Majora's Mask for the 3DS, but now Pokemon, I might have to get one. Going back to the 2DS. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, for the 2DS. I've got a 3DS, where it's actually uh, Samantha's my missus. She, she never plays in it, though. Literally, the only time we ever use it is when we're going away. So I'll be on the plane, I'll be playing like, you know, 3D Ridge Racer and all that, but then she gets a bit annoyed, like, you haven't spoken to me for like four hours now, and I'm like, headphones in, what? <laughs> well, a good mention of Ridge Racer, actually, mm-hmm. segues us onto our next story. Which we don't is... just throw this together, come on. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, which is a uh, patent of loading screens expires. Yes. Now, this is loading screen games, so if you ever remember on the PlayStation 1, Ridge Racer, any Namco kind of titles. Second one. Tekken 1, yes. Yeah. You could play these little games on the start screen. That was actually patented by Namco. Even Ridge Racer 7, I think, on the PS3 oh, has really? that as well, yeah. As you say, I only ever saw it on Ridge Racer mm. and Tekken 1. That's the only time I've ever seen them. Mm. Otherwise, they've just kind of been, maybe you can move something on the loading screen, but that'll be it. <laughs> I think you can play like Pac-Man or something on the PS3 one. Yeah, that's yeah. a Namco game, isn't well, it? Well, after 20 yeah, years now, that's mm-hmm. expired. So, so, but they had an exclusive on a video game playing while your main yeah. game's loading up. Okay, interesting. So, if you look at games like recently, they have the Elder Scrolls Skyrim and stuff. They've tried to have had to have nice visual displays yeah, in the loading screen. That's screens. what I was saying. But, yeah, Fallout yeah. Four, and they've done it on that as well, haven't they? Yeah, or yeah. tips and hints that pop up, but you yeah. can never actually play a game whilst yeah. <laughs> it's going on. Well, I think now it's a lot of games, you know, even the new consoles, you've got to install everything on the hard disk now. So loading times are they're meant to be a bit quicker, but then the games get bigger anyway. So yeah. sometimes I'll be playing Ridge Racer and I'll, I'll be playing Pac-Man for like 20 minutes and be like, I can't, can't be asked <laughs> to play the full game now. Well, for, yeah, funny if you, you should mention that because of with Gallagher for Tekken, um, if you actually completed that uh, without missing any of the insects, the aliens, whatever they were, you actually unlocked a hidden character. Oh, in the main in, game? In the main game. And oh. you could play as Devil. Uh, who was Kazuya's like alternative like 
being, if you will, and you could play as devil in the main game as Tekken. Never achieved it. But no, it's this is why we need Joe, man. He's got some good knowledge. <laughs> so you could actually, you know, spend many hours trying to complete Gallagher 100 percent on your accuracy as well. And you just you'd unlock this hidden character, but you know it was it was solid as hell. So it never happened as a child. <laughs> well, well, I think also like you know games like FIFA, they've had the goal scoring at the beginning yeah. of the game. Um, Assassin's Creed, you can just run around in that space, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that this painting's gone, there's going to be some real innovative stuff yeah, that's going to start coming stuff. out. Yeah. 2016. It's amazing what you can patent, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, the left click. Or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <crazy>. OJ. <laughs> and there's something that's coming back that you may remember from uh, your teenage years. Yes, it's Robot Wars. Oh, back on the telly. Yeah, now, um, if you're listening in America, you may not know about Robot Wars. I don't know if they did it in America. I'm not sure. Uh, there must be. It's a very yeah. British thing. Yeah, it was, it was basically groups of nerds, often with their young kid who was coming along because they'd uh, told him it was exciting, and they would build these kind of giant robots with spinning discs and stuff to fight each <laughs> to other. Fight, yeah. yeah, I mean, I always wondered what the restrictions were <laughs> with, with the robots. Something like flamethrowers and yeah, all that, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> if he's got a flamethrower, I want to shoot bees. <laughs> didn't well, they like, do like a late night version of it as well? I'm, I'm sure like Robot really Wars Extreme. Yeah, I, I heard about that. that, yeah. Yeah, and that was like flamethrowers. But and then like they, chainsaws. it got crazy. They had like a referee bot in there and stuff and they'd yeah. have pits that, you know, people would fall in. And there is some proper nerd. You, know, you can almost smell these guys through the TV, can't you? <laughs> you but can it see was... the sweat in his forehead. <laughs> Spent five years making it for it to be destroyed in 30 seconds. It was a really um, innovative show as well. And here, actually, um, Bluetooth have said, Bluetooth is ideal for Robot Wars. And also okay. Raspberry Pi have said yeah. that they're very happy because they want to start making brains for these robots. So rather than know, remote control, there'll be AI. Yeah, yeah. Right so okay. you know these educational toys are turning into deaf machine brains. Have <laughs> I mean, to go mental and walk off into the audience or something? Yeah. <laughs> Destroy well, humans. You know what? I actually read that they were going to make the the arena bulletproof. So I, I don't know. Like maybe it would. Like... Well, yeah. They had pneumatic rams. They had yeah. uh, wow. cutting discs and stuff. So, so maybe there might be. Bullets. Taking it up a notch, yeah. <laughs> there we have Sir Killalot with his M16. <laughs> yeah, I might watch that one on TV, but not necessarily get tickets to see the live yeah. show, I don't think. Yeah. I'd love to see one of those malfunction. <laughs> now, we mentioned things that are coming back, things that are kind of degrading, I suppose. Um, they've made Mortal Kombat for the Atari 2600. Yes, yeah, so uh, we've been talking about remakes. This is demakes. <laughs> so basically, a few years ago, they did a... Halo 2600, mm-hmm. which was Halo on the Atari 2600. Very small, but if it it looked really good. You could do pickups of weapons, and if it actually came out at the time, I think it would have been really popular. But uh, now they've done Mortal Kombat, and um, just by the shots of it, <laughs> it looks... Yeah, it looks quite interesting. I'm having a look at a video of it now on YouTube, and uh, yeah, I mean, the text looks good. Scorpion doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if they've got the uh, vocal effects. It, it looks more like Mortal Kombat anthologies, the uh, the Sub Zero game. It looks oh more yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. more like a platformer. But, mm-hmm. You know, it it, yeah, look, did, it does look like Mortal Kombat though. <laughs> I mean, you know, for the twenty six hundred, having graphics that you can actually make out what they are is quite an achievement. Actually, no, if, that if you have yeah. a look, it does look like Mortal Kombat. You can clearly tell it's Scorpion. So. And I think they would probably have an intro as well because the Halo one they had 
the Halo ring and the, mm. the music, but in Atari, it was amazing. Might even have an intro game. Well, yeah, they had produced carts as well. <laughs> I remember seeing they ported Doom to the Commodore Big 20. Yeah. Because these platforms are so old now, yeah. you didn't get stuff like that when they were new because the developers were still learning how it worked and what you can do with it. But now, people are pushing these old platforms way beyond what they were ever designed to do and but they know also, every trick in the book now. Also, I think people can charge quite a lot for these games, you know, because... Yeah. Old school guys are going to want, you know. And uh, as nerds, you know, we have nothing better to spend money on, so yeah, <laughs> we're going to buy it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 2600, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another game as well that's uh, just had a release, a classic game. Well, yeah, this is, um, it's actually a level off Doom. So this is um, his first Doom level that John Romero created, who was the creator of Doom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last week we talked about how they were releasing loads of stuff from ID Software, the old Mario, Super Mario games. Well, it looks like they've been looking through their folders at home and they've released the WAD file for it. Yeah, I'm just looking at it here and it's the first time he's worked on it in 21 years, apparently. Really? Yeah, yeah so 21 years is the first... First for him for this game for Doom, and he used Doom Builder Two for it. Ah, it's like which was some maybe some kind of construction kit that came out for Doom early on. I even remember when Doom first came out; it was a shareware game, wasn't it originally? Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, before was. a commercial game. You had to that, order it, didn't you? Well, that was really the thing that kind of really kicked off PC gaming, made the PC a viable platform. Mm. Really, um, I think it was also because they could distribute it so well on BBSs because it was a shareware game that it could just spread mm-hmm. so fast, far and wide. Well, that, f- Doom. that format stayed until... Because they did that with Duke Nukem as well. That was shareware, wasn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they kind of kept that shareware, first-person shooter distribution thing going for a while. So, obviously, there's Wolfenstein 3D before that, but I remember the first that time was I... shareware. It was, <laughs> yeah, well, I remember it was the same crew, wasn't it? But I remember... The first time I saw Doom was in a Ryman's <laughs> stationery <laughs> shop. They used to sell, like, you know, they had old PCs and stuff, yeah. and my friends would go in there on a Saturday, you know, because we're like rebels. So we'd, like, go in there, we're shopping in town, we're just like, you know, they had Doom loaded up on one, and, like, must have been there about three hours, they had to kick us out of the shop. But I, I guess that um, kind of maybe big publishers wouldn't have taken on such a controversial thing mm-hmm. or, or a game where you're killing Nazis or, you yeah. know, you're in hell, you know, so... Yeah. Maybe to get it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bit strange. I mean, funny, going back to what Dan just said, my first experience of Doom was on the PS1 playing it in Toys R Us, mm-hmm. which, of all places, and I remember playing it with my older brother and thinking this is the most, I must have been about five years old or something, it was the most brutal thing I'd ever seen. And, it, you know, I thought it was Bruce Willis on the cover, but it wasn't, obviously. <laughs> but I remember thinking... I'd like we were, to see that, though. <laughs> we were in Toys R Us, and it's the, it was Doom 1 and 2 for the PS1 because you got it in the double pack mm-hmm. in, the big, in the big box. And uh, that's my first memory of it in, in Toys R Us of all places. <laughs> Mine was the uh, banging soundtrack. Yeah, yeah Just yeah, hearing yeah. that, because I actually heard that before I saw the game, because people were in front of it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh my God. What is that, <laughs> yeah. that fist-pumping music? Yeah. <laughs> well, being, you know, for me, that was when the, the smugness of being an Amiga user went, when Doom came out. Because yeah. at school, I had, like, you know, an Amiga 500+, plus, and my friend Mandip, his name was, he had a PC. And, like, he'd, he'd have, like, ports of, you know... Obviously, the games have come out on lots of different platforms, but he'd often have, he didn't have a sound card, so it was like the built-in PC, bleepy speaker, and it was like, you know, EGA graphics and that kind of thing, and he'd come over and look at the Amiga, and they'd have, like, proper stereo soundtrack, and he'd be like, oh, my God, it sounds so good, and then, like, he got a new PC, and, like, he goes, yeah, I've got Doom, by the way, and I was like... That's <laughs> it. Well, well uh, talking of that, there's an amazing video by a guy called Ahoy, 
on mm-hmm. YouTube, which is Doom Doomed the Embers of Amiga FPS. And yeah. it's basically talking about all the Amiga attempts to do Doom <laughs> until we actually got it bought. Yeah, they did, but not till about 97 or something, wasn't it? Came out <laughs> I, the Amiga, but... I don't know when. I mean, I'm sure they were still porting Doom until a couple of years ago. Oh, <laughs> we were saying last week it's on yeah, like some new uh, platform. On an, uh, oh, really? Well, not a, sc- a platform. Oscilloscope, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, playing gosh. a toaster now as well, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's on my watch. <laughs> well, you probably can these days. Yeah, yeah I watch. But yeah, obviously a legendary game. It's very interesting to see something new coming out from... Uh, John Romero, though, that'll be... Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I reckon he's probably looking back at his past and stuff and uh, kind of searching through stuff. No, but you uh, know what would be cool, though? Mm-hmm. Imagine the little doom face on your iWatch. So kind of... Me- you, yeah, melting away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you're at the gym and it's melting away. <laughs> when you're on that treadmill. The gym? <laughs> now, uh, speaking of things from the past yeah. that are now back, I thought this is quite interesting. There's been a load of uh, 1980s internal Atari emails released. Oh, I've not heard of this. So what it is, it's basically an archive. Um, they used to use these uh, things called VAX servers. So a lot of companies back in like the 70s and 80s used these as like internal email servers. And the, someone's done like a tape backup. And you can actually go through and look at all of these internal memos and emails that were getting distributed within Atari and their coin-op division from like about 1978 up until about 1984, 85. So and there's loads of archives. I mean, I've not been through them all, but... Um, I'll put a link in the in the show notes, obviously. You just look through and basically get a feel for what was going on in the company at the time. And like anyone that gets internal emails, there's loads of bitching and like arguments yeah. and all that in it too. So, And I guess that's from the start, right? So, yeah. So that's from when they were using like baking trays in the pong machine to collect the coins. And it was, you know, really all cheaply made. And Well, Steve Jobs worked for Atari for a bit. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, before Apple, so might even be some you know, <laughs> yeah, classic Steve Jobs <laughs> stuff in there. But I, I think, you know, it, there is a lot of material to get through, but I think it's worth giving it a download. I'd be interested to see if there's any stuff around, you know, the ET kind of yeah, era, what, what we were talking yeah. about then. That would be good. <laughs> it was such an interesting story because Atari were obviously a massive company, weren't they, at, at the start of it? They were, games. and they were also doing lots of weird practices that companies were doing to, to put off the competition. Mm-hmm. So with the arcade machines, they were putting in fake serial numbers. So they were putting on the back, you know, 2007 or whatever. Make it look like there's more than the worst. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the seventh machine, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be interesting, you know, get the lowdown on. Such a legendary company, always getting, you know, an inside look. Yeah, yeah. It's always quite exciting. So, uh, yeah, they're all available for download. There will be links in the show notes. And a new Nintendo Entertainment System game. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I've, uh, I've heard about this for charity, apparently. What was the game again? Uh, I think it's called something like uh, Germ Squishers or something. Yeah, Germ, germ Squashers. Squashers. Now, yeah, what it is, it, it's basically all the proceeds for this are going to go to um, the Children's Miracle Network, the call. So it's a kids' charity um, in America. Kind of like Make-A-Wish, is it? Yeah, something? that kind of thing. I mean, it's quite interesting, the game. It, it looks like, you know, pretty bog-standard platform, but it's going to be out on a physical cartridge, not only for the NES, but also they're bringing it out on the Super Nintendo and the uh, Genesis slash Mega Drive as well. And new platforms like uh, iOS and Android, too, with all the proceeds go into the uh, charity. That's good. We mentioned this last week, though, that a lot of companies now are actually developing for these old platforms to get coverage. Yeah, to get coverage. And also because they're not restricted by licensing laws. People don't, they don't care about if people are developing for these old platforms. Whereas if you bought one out for the Xbox One, Mm -hmm. you'd have to pay a massive fee to get that content on there. But... Dreamcast, yeah, Mega Drive, no one cares. Yeah, just chuck it out, people will buy it. 
people will make a profit, whether that's charity or a company. So it it does work. Obviously, you know, this is getting coverage in all the uh, the gaming mm. websites and stuff. You know, and I wonder how much of the the sales are actually on the old platforms, or whether you know the the iOS and Android ports actually sell more. Yeah, maybe there's like. 50 or 100 on the old platforms yeah. and then 10,000 on the uh, iOS. <laughs> this year we mentioned that it's been like the biggest release in Dra- uh, 2015. Yeah. More Dreamcast games came out last year yeah, than since 2002. 17 independent. Oh, wow. Ones, yeah. 17. Yeah, yeah, 17 the last oh, wow. 12 months. Well, and they were all you could physical copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah all printed internet. as well. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. It wasn't homebrew, you know. Yeah, not homebrew. Actual physical came yeah. out. Yeah, because I've watched a few, watched the video the other day and it was like the top 10. Uh, Dreamcast games and it was going on about excluding all the games that should have recently come out because some of them are so good mm-hmm. but they're not original they're not you know they're not original Dreamcast games so they had to exclude them all so now it's definitely worth checking out yeah, there There's was some... always, always uh, this issue with the Dreamcast of uh, titles that were promised as well you know they'd kind of be like Unreal Tournament and all of these Counter-Strike there was a yeah. big thing where they were trying to bring Counter-Strike and then you'd always have these like dodgy versions that would come yeah. out or... yeah definitely no, I have fond memories of the Dreamcast you know you know, I, I thought it was a brilliant console, but to, to find out that all these games are coming out of it has kind of sparked my interest, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I've got one of these um, SD to ISO things on oh, the back, yeah, yeah. and uh, you can put homebrew games on there and stuff, but then they've also got this Bleemcast, which was... Um, mm. PS1 kind of, games. PS1 yeah, yeah. games, yeah. I think I've seen, yeah, I've seen that as well, yeah. Yeah, you can play PS1 games, and a lot of the time the graphics are actually improved. Yeah. Like, yeah. the quality. Upscales them, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes lots of bits are missing, so (laughs) watch out. Well, there was one game that I saw for the Dreamcast. Have you heard of um, Propeller Arena? No, no, no. And that was meant to be, it's uh, basically a little game where you fly planes around and stuff, but I think it was going to be one of uh, Sega's final titles on the Dreamcast. Yeah. But it was all ready to go, and they're going to release it like in 2001, early September. And I think just before it hit the shelves, 9-11 happened. Oh, God. So they pulled the game, even though it was completely finished, pretty much. I think maybe in one of the maps you can fly around New York and stuff, so they didn't think it was appropriate, but you can actually get it to download now, and it is, you know, it is considered one of the, probably the best flying game on the Dreamcast. Oh, wow. So... Well, that's my dream. (laughs) My dream is to get the Dreamcast Dreamcast set up, yeah. Um, Because you can get VGA um, to HDMI ones at the moment. I've got a VGA cable for it, but I I think I want to get... Because we mentioned last week that there were so many kind of, you know, wacky and uh, eccentric kind of, you know, peripherals for the Dreamcast. Yeah. I bought oh, a fishing yeah. rod recently. Yeah, yeah, down with his fishing rod. That's, as, as that's, a, know, for a, that's a yeah, funny sight. But I think, I think the quality that the Dreamcast can go to is 480i, yeah. which is like quite good. You that's know. pretty good for yeah. like technology from 1999. Like, mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I'd, I'd be... That's quite impressive. I'm quite impressed that I didn't know that either. So. Yeah, so you can get the you know VGA box from eBay and then just go straight onto that. Well, the original yeah. Xbox, you can actually get com- uh, component cables for that, okay. and you can run that in 720p. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's good have you with seen the media the, center for the Wii. The component you can get to get the Wii in HD. Have you seen how expensive that is on eBay? Is it really? Yeah, gosh, yeah, a lot of money just just to get your Wii. That leads <laughs> us into the next topic, actually, which is eBay price insanity. Ooh. Now, this is obviously a subject that you know rages on the forums and stuff. What do you think, Ravi? Price driving? Uh, I've seen it happen horrifically, but it's actually been for items that I've owned. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I was going to say, it depends what side you're on, really, yeah. isn't it? It's either a negative or a positive thing. So Yeah, if you're buying, then if yeah. If you're buying, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, not good. <laughs> but, for example, like last year, I bought a copy of Theme Park for the CD32 for, I think it was 
five pounds off mm-hmm. eBay boxed, and I've just looked today, and there's one going for forty five pounds, and that's like you know standard bid. This isn't buy it now. But Didn't you get a Kira as well with a T-shirt or something? Wasn't that? Yeah, How yeah. How much does that go for normally? Oh, two hundred and fifty or something. But it, it's very strange. It's like these people list these items really highly. Mm-hmm. They'll hope someone will catch, and they'll catch. And then everyone else who wants to, oh, how much is this worth? They do a search for the sold items. Yeah. And they see it sold for that price. They start listing, and it's like, just keeps increasing it and increasing it. So <laughs> I'm just having a look now, and it's just like one one game that comes to my mind straight away. It's not the rarest game in the world, but Street Fighter Alpha 2 for the SNES. Mm-hmm. And it's just I'm just looking at it now, and it's just like, I actually have a copy of this game, and I was really lucky. I got it at a car boot for about 50p. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I took it into the local game shop, and they offered me about 30 pounds for it but on ebay right now it's 90 pounds by it now and it's just hilarious just scrolling through because of there's just so many different prices for it you know suddenly it jumps up to 110 pounds and then somebody only wants 21.99 for it <laughs> and it's just what possesses you to think you see somebody selling it for 30 quids yeah maybe it's not in as good condition and you think to yourself well mine's a bit better i'm gonna try and bang that on there for 110 pounds and hopefully some schmuck buys it <laughs> you just think maybe there's like you know some some millionaire kid who's bored one day and he thinks oh, I really want that game yeah I'll buy yeah. it for 300 quid that's what yeah. I think yeah I think it's you know you'll get these frivolous people that'll be like oh I want to get into retro collecting and then they'll just buy up everything yeah it took years they years just, they to just, amass they just know? find out what games are the rarest mm. you know which games are going to be the most impressive that, that they own and just kind of blow hundreds of pounds on it even. that's what I've kind of started doing with the CD32 <laughs> market because I can see the prices are increasing so much that I've had to get the rare ones first Mm-hmm. And then yeah. just get the general ones. It's, it's something know. I've thought about in the past as well. Like when these games come out, like I can remember a couple of years ago, Lost Odyssey for the Xbox 360. Yeah. And I thought to myself, this could catch on. This is by Square. This this game could catch on. It didn't catch on, but it could. Maybe in 20 years' time, if I buy a copy of this now for £10, this this game could be worth a lot in the future. But <laughs> no, like what Ravi's saying is, you know, you want to get the rare ones Get the rare away. ones first and yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, like PS2 games, that they've got to be the next thing that kind of goes up in value. Yeah. So I often think, should I start buying? She seemed like 50p and like, you know, yeah. that's entertainment trying to get rid of them and all that. But, but I, I just don't see it going down. Because it's it's just this cycle of eBay selling, marking up stuff, you know, it's, it's just selling for get, that price. It's just going to keep going. It's like, just going to keep going. I mean, I start kept that, get, trying to get back into retro gaming about 10 years ago now, and I went through a crazy phase. And now looking back at it, you know, I was just looking at how much you can sell some of this stuff, and it's like I could sell it for double for what it was back yeah, like then. That's it, and yeah. that's only in 10 years, so what's it going to be in another 10 years? Is it going to go one way or the other? Like Dan bought a Amiga 4000 last year. Yeah, £300 I got mine for, which was actually <laughs> a bargain, though. That's I mean, an absolute bargain, yeah. because last year they were listed on eBay for, I'd say, about six to eight. Yeah, now they're about 1000 1000 yeah. to what was well, that, Amiga 4000? Yeah, top of yeah. the range Amiga. It was one I always wanted as a kid, but I mean, you know, there, there were about two or 3,000 when they were new. Mm. But, you know, the rate's going. Now they're going to be that again in like two or three years, aren't they? It's That's like, it, you know. But I'm looking here, there's a Commodore 64 with disk drive, £550. Gosh. <laughs> it's like, I remember when you could get that, they couldn't give them away, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like back in like the early 2000s. Well, there's, there's certain sellers that have stocks and supplies of lots of stuff and then put it up on eBay. I'm not going to say any names. But, we all know uh, they are. Yeah. Guiana Sisters on tape for ten thousand pounds. It's silly money. Yeah, silly money. But yeah, it's like I, I don't know. It is a shame though because 
you know, someone like you, Ravi, you want to get your, your full CD32 collection, but there yeah. are, I imagine there are certain titles in there that you probably will never get. Yeah, you? there's a Thomas the Tank lucky. Engine pinball, which I'm not willing to spend £250 for a Thomas the Tank Engine game. Would you even but, play it? That's the thing. Yeah. No. Just want it to look good on the shelf, don't yeah. you? Yeah. It's the same with me and like, you know, I, I started collecting for the Jaguar last year. The Jag is kind of, well, I guess the CD32 is probably similar. It's got quite a small library. Mm. I think it's about 70 games on the Jag. Yeah. And I've probably got about, you know, 30 now, so I'm about halfway there. But there are titles like, um, there's like a Mario Kart kind of clone for it called Atari Karts. But, you know. But then you get into the different area, don't you? Because you've probably got loose carts. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, if all it was boxed, boxed yeah, with yeah. manuals, you know, yeah, yeah. sealed, you know. It's... <laughs> what See, kind of collector are you? You may have all 70. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe getting there, but other your box, that's, yeah. It's yeah. Good, but like, you know, we said last week, I'm, I'm not really in a heart of game collector, but it's just because there isn't an EverDrive or anything for the, the Jaguar, so it's the only way you can play the games is to get the original carts. Yeah. But going back to, you know, we were talking about Homebrew before, uh, I've got a CD attachment for my Jag, and actually, I think there's only something like seven commercial games came out on the Jag CD, <laughs> but since then, there's been about 42 have come out, like Homebrew and yeah. indie games and stuff for it, so. Well, I've found, like, if you, you can get these websites where they're remaking, like, if, official conversions and stuff and there's a CD32 one where they're doing unofficial conversions at the moment yeah they're, yeah they're adding they're in free, all, aren't they? yeah all the FMV intros in that weren't in there before they're like Mortal Kombat has Mortal Kombat film in it on the intro did they take it off the Mega CD version didn't they and put it over yeah yeah <laughs> I can imagine the quality is uh, oh it's bad. shocking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the James Pond intro is like oh James yeah. Pond oh what a game <laughs> it looks like a VHS tape that's been transferred yeah. about 40 times yeah but it's cool that they can do it and I mean you know it's, I think it's stuff that they should have done back in the day really but yeah. developers then they're probably on a deadline that I oh, will just it's kind of like the passionate geeks are sorting out all their stuff they didn't finish yeah, at yeah. the end. Well, exactly. Let's <laughs> go back and fix it. It's <laughs> yeah. taken them 20 years, but they got there. I mean, even on the Atari uh, Jaguar CD, they're bringing out another world for it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah you've, you've spoke to me about that a few times. Yeah. Man. I mean, do we need another part of another world? You tell me. But, but I think, you know, the, the original <laughs> developer, um, he always was a fan of the Jag, but because it was a commercial failure, he never actually got around to releasing the game on it. So it was something he wanted to do for like that, 20 is years. Is that something he's doing himself Yeah, so now? He, he, he's behind the project as well. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. They brought out some of them on, you know, fully boxed with the carts and all it's that. A, it's well. amazing because uh, Another World was such a good game. Mm-hmm. But it's not really talked about that much, yeah, is I it, these played, days? Yeah, I played it's... it on the SNES as a child. Mm-hmm. And then I've played it with Dan on Amiga. Mm-hmm. Much better on the Amiga. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That was his first platform, I think, the Amiga, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The original platform for yeah, it. Yeah, I think... Looking back at it for the for the time, it looked best on Amiga as well. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, I think you're saying the Jag version's quite nice. Yeah, well, well, the 3DO is probably the most impressive version I've played. Yeah, yeah that's oh, um, seen that one. Because they did re-release another world last year on uh, Xbox Live, yeah, and yeah. Um, it was called. I think they called it like HD or something like that. But it it was basically the Amiga version that was kind of a little bit sharper, more nicer textures. But it, was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. really the textures were the same. Okay. Well, I, I thought the Mr. Trick they should have done the 3DO port really because that. Fully rendered backgrounds and yeah, you know, yeah. and this even had more sound effects and stuff as well. It is a really nice version of it, but the fact that you know, next to nobody owns a 3DO, very few people <laughs> get true. to play it. You know yeah. what I mean? And our final topic this week, then, um, new coloured Commodore 64 keycaps. Oh, now what this is is, um, don't know if you've seen these, but a lot of people recently have been putting out these kind of remade cases for old systems. Mm. So we had a, there was an Amiga 1200 one that was done. Um, they actually did the Commodore 64C. So what they do is a Kickstarter, and I think these guys have actually got the original moulds. Yeah, they've yeah. got the moulds from the factories, yeah. and they've actually um, talked to some of the original engineers and said, oh, how do I do this bit? <laughs> you know. But apparently I've heard that these moulds, I, th- I think they found um, the Commodore 64C ones, 
and they were that heavy that the factory was either going to throw them out, but you couldn't put them in your house, it'd fall through the ceiling. But yeah. that's how much these things weigh. So it actually costs a lot of money to get them moved and get them all set up in a factory environment again. And the wind and Kickstarter, I think the, the Amiga one went for about like $10,000 or something. Well, I, think, yeah. I think there's currently three Amiga ones. There's the main mould one. Yeah. There's also uh, Lorian Panji, who's doing the um, keys. Okay. As well, so he's doing custom keys in all the different workbench colours and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And then there's another recase moulding one then as well. So, and they've actually got an official licensing from Amiga Inc., which is amazing. Bill Anyone Ma- can get hold Bill of Bill McEwen and crew, which is uh, I didn't even know they were still alive. I think, <laughs> I think he's a truck driver now. Isn't yeah. He? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they got they got it, so they can actually put the Amiga name on the uh, board. But it's really cool. I mean, you know, obviously you guys have got, you know, classic systems as well. You find, um, I know there's retro writing, but have you got any yellow systems? Uh, yes, I've got a yellow SNES, which yeah. looks lovely in its cabinet. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely. And have you, have you ever actually seen how you can actually unyellow them? Like, yeah, retro writing, isn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I've got a video on my channel, and I'm not using retro bright. I'm using Bee Blonde, which oh, is right. a, a lady's blonde. Yeah, the lady's um, hair. That's what I was on about the peroxide, the hair dye, and you put it in, the, you put <laughs> yeah. it in like a seal bag don't you yeah that's and it. try and clean it yeah off. you can do the keys with that as yeah. well you'll oh, see wow. Ravi down the ladies hair dissection you know <laughs> yeah, why, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah because i mean I, i've i've tried it with a few of my systems not to the you know i probably have another success that you've had but i did actually buy one of those um you know the black lights yeah um, yeah so i've got one of those now that came probably about three or four months ago i've not tried it yet but i've got like an amiga 600 that looks a bit like you know well there's a bigger retro by a backlash at the moment which is a lot of people are saying oh it actually degrades the plastic over yeah, time I've heard so that. now when everyone's promoting Retrobyte, they'll get flamed on another topic okay. by someone saying no it's actually ruining your equipment so you know it's a 50-50 balance thing but my dreamcast uh, at the moment is looking pretty grotty you know because yeah. i think there's a bit of a debate about what makes old consoles go yellow I think it's kind of been settled. It's UV light, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I always thought it was UV light. That's what I it was. It was a chemical called bromide, I mm. think, that they put in, which was fire-resistant stuff. Same stuff they had on planes. So <laughs> if you used to sit on planes when you could smoke in them, they'd say 90% of the air that you'd be breathing with this like fire <laughs> retardant no stuff really. in it. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so does that so mean if, if your house burns down, your Dreamcast going to survive then? I was going to say, was that, was that what was like going through their minds? Like, that's what's going to survive if your house burns down. <laughs> yeah. At least my Dreamcast and my Super Nintendo are okay. <laughs> or maybe if the Dreamcast malfunctions. There and, we go. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm going to set up in flames, I guess. It contains the fire. <laughs> but basically with these new cases, you know, because there's this Commodore 64 keycaps what it is, you know, they, they released some cases last year, and rather than having it the original beige or white colour, they've got like you know bright red I'm and blue and now. yellow. I, I, and... Yeah, they look fantastic. Actually, they look really nice. But it would be cool to see this for other systems as well. You know, yeah, if you get like a bright pink Dreamcast or something. Yeah, like, you know. no, definitely. Or, or what you could do is you could get this and put a Keyrar device in there, have a Raspberry Pi two, mm-hmm. and have that in your original, well, new bright Commodore housing. Uh, What's a use key- a keyboard. So it uses it as a keyboard on a modern machine? Is that Yeah, so the key you can mm-hmm. use it as an interface uh, for your main keyboard. Yeah. 
playing Fallout 4 on your Commodore 64. Yeah, yeah exactly. Those, those big, big clunky keys. <laughs> you could be on the train, whip out your iPad, you see 64. <laughs> <laughs> Coolest kid in town. Yeah. Well, you see these uh, these um, these guys with their uh, vinyl, <laughs> their portable yeah, yeah. vinyl. Oh, Why you, not? <laughs> have you seen hipsters with typewriters? Yeah, that's a great right vlog, isn't it? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Let's try and outdo them, take some Commodore 64s on the train. <laughs> I'll see you in Starbucks next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, guys, it's been an amazing show. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Uh, no, thank you for having me, guys. I've really good. enjoyed it. Yeah. And of course, all of these show notes of everything we've talked about will be available on the website, theretrohour.com. The podcast comes out every Friday. A little treat for the weekend, available on iTunes very soon on the Google Play Store and now on YouTube as well, because we've had some demand for that. Yes, and I'd also like to thank Amigos Podcast for mentioning us. They said we could do something, you know, uh, UK versus US perspective or some kind oh, of well, that show could get mix. brutal, couldn't it? Yeah, so we'll <laughs> arrange that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll see you again next week, guys. And now we're going to hand you over to a fascinating interview with Paul Drury from Retro Gamer Magazine. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and this week's special guest we are proud to have on the show. Mr. Paul Drury. Hello, Paul. Hello, mate. Thanks for having right. me. Now, uh, Paul's been a video games journalist for how long now? Been paid for it since 2002 wow. for our local Nottingham Post, and then a few years after that I started writing for Retro Gamer, which I still do. I still write for both of those. So a few fanzines before that, if people are old enough to remember what a fanzine was. Sadly, we are. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dismags as well, yeah. they were the... Uh... Oh, Dismags, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were the days. I thought we'd start right at the beginning then, Paul. What, what first got you into gaming? Really? God, you are starting at the beginning. Uh, I've got a very vivid memory of seeing the arcade game Boot Hill at um, Ripley Leisure Centre when I was learning to swim. And um, I don't think my swimming was particularly good, but my video gaming skills steadily improved as I used to put the 10p for the locker into Boot Hill. Um, so, yeah, and ever since then, I mean, I, I, mean, I was born in 1970, and, um, you know, that's, that means I've grown up pretty much. I mean, the first arcade game was kind of 71, Computer Space, so I've grown up alongside that. And it was definitely arcades that got me interested. I think readers of a certain... Readers? Listeners, even, of a certain age that was where you went to get your sort of first exciting hit of, you know, what was happening new with video games. And it was a little bit later than that that I got a computer in the early 80s. A VIC-20. Commodore. Commodore VIC-20, yes, I was a Commodore boy. Um, and uh, Space War was on the PDP-1, wasn't it, which was a really... The real, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the first computer uh, space, yeah, you're right, was in the 60s. Um, a chap, I'd once interviewed a chap called Nolan Bushnell who set up Atari. Mm. And he had this, he, what an interesting bloke, because he had this idea, you know, he used to play that at his university in Utah. Yeah, and then in the summer. Yeah, well, because he had massive them. computers, yeah. you know, it took a whole room. And then he'd go to his sort of summer job in an arcade, in a, kind of an amusement park with arcade. And he just, and he'd see all these people putting little coins in electromechanical machines and just thought, hang on, what if I could put these two things <laughs> together? And whilst it took quite a few years and lots of other people were involved as well. Um, so, yeah, I've been lucky enough to answer your question, is to grow up with video games, starting with arcades, then in the home, and then never really stopped. The arcade culture, though, especially in the 80s and kind of early 90s, that was mm. where it was at, though, wasn't it? I mean, did, did you, were you a regular? Did you frequent oh, arcades God, a lot? yeah. Then? It's more than just the games as well, is that they were, a cent, they were, they were our youth club. Um, and, it, I mean, it was a place where you could go where the, you were basically fairly unsupervised, and something exciting would happen every week, sometimes on screen, 
You know, I mean, I vividly remember the first time I saw a game called Donkey Kong. Mm -hmm. Going like, but you're not shooting. Why aren't you shooting? You're <laughs> jumping. What's this? What's this nonsense? But also, the, yeah, I mean, there was always the dodgy bloke that gave out the ten p's. But apart from that, it was an unsupervised space for kids to intermix. And you know, you you, you had you had bullies there. You had kids all groveling for ten p. But you know, it's just a way that you could have your own space. And I wonder whether I mean, kids do have their own space now because they have, they have a kind of virtual space, don't they? But interestingly, we you know the same people now. That moan about kids hanging around. People my age that moan about kids hanging around on Nottingham Market Square. You know, they were the same kids that were hanging around in arcades. You know, like, see, has anyone got any fags? Then we got ten p for a go on Phoenix. You know, I, I think that's why you don't get this nostalgia. You're doing a retro show. Mm -hmm. You cannot have nostalgia unless you've. Well, A, that you've had a gap, right? But also that you've had that many people doing the same thing and it being such a big, salient part of their life. Like, so, yeah. Even with different generations, and I mm -hmm. would be playing in the arcades, kids <laughs> would have fags and you know, they'd be bullied. You see, and, don't tell your dad. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But, but we'd be on Crazy Taxi. You know, so oh, it's a of course, yeah. yeah, of course. And it's, I mean, it is kind of sad that, I mean, you right up until the late 90s, you know, there was still mm -hmm. an arcade scene. It's when the and, gambling yeah. machines came, and I think that's a... Well, you go to the seaside yeah. now, that's it's all it is, to... isn't it? It's fruit yeah. machines and quiz machines, just... yeah. It's... But yeah, yeah, so I do miss those days, because they were, you know, yeah, it wasn't just the games, it was also the space that you play in a public arena. I mean, even now, I'm excited if I ever see an arcade retro machine, of which there are quite a few in Nottingham, in pubs. Mm. Even though I've got all those games at home on my computer, is that, you know, playing Galaxian in a pub, it just transports you back to 1979. Except I can drink now while I'm playing. <laughs> so, uh, Not so, yeah. have to do it secretly anymore, yeah? Not anymore, no, no. Right. So, obviously, like you said, you've seen many different eras. I mean, you've yeah. been a gamer consistently right through it. Are you still today? Oh, God, yeah. I had this, I had this kind of lost years from, like, 1988 till about 92, where I went to university and got into, like, stupid things like girls and drugs and all passing things. Waste of time. Passing things. <laughs> and then back in, then in 92, when I qualified as a teacher, is that I remember seeing... Um, I still got my Commodore 64. I'd upgraded for my VIC-20. Mm -hmm. Gathering dust. And, and I remember I saw... Can you remember an old Atari console, an Atari VCS? They had, like, wood grain. The original like woody that. one. Yeah. yeah, and I just started work, so I got a little bit of money. And I saw one of these for sale in, like, a junk shop in Derby for, like, tenner. And I remember when I would be nine and ten, you know, they were 200 quid, which is a fortune in 1979, 1980. And I remember really wanting one, thinking, oh, my God, these are, like, ten quid now. So I remember buying one of them, which was a bit weird in 92, and taking it home and then not only love it and, you know, you could buy all the games for 50p now, right, and playing Space Invaders and that, and there was that nostalgic rush. But also you saw other, I think it was the first time I realised that how that it had been a part of lots of people's lives because people had come round, because I got my own house by then, mm. well, a room in a house, and people come round and go, oh, my God, you got an old Atari. So then, you know, at that point, then I got a SNES and then after that, you know. So apart from those sadly four lost years, which is sadly when the Amiga was really big, so... I'm, that's the one area where I will struggle a bit, <laughs> right, with the Amiga. So when I'm interviewing people, I'm really confident with the 8 bits, and then the Amiga comes on. Like, I was kind of like at university and getting into girls and stuff. But anyway. <laughs> the wilderness so years. <laughs> exactly, you know, thank God I came back, you know. So, yes, it's, and it's still, yeah, and of course I play. I write about modern games for the Nottingham Post now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I still, I'm not one of these retro snobs. I never say things like, oh, games were better in the old days. We remember the best games from the old days. There was, for every manic minor there was a hundred 
r- rubbish. Look at me, not swearing. Rubbish <laughs> platform Sugar. clones that if you if you played them now, you go, oh my god, did we used to play that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember the best, just like with music. You remember the best. Music was not better in the sixties. There was a load of crap in the sixties, mm-hmm. but you remember the best. And so with games, you remember the best. And you know, I'm absolutely sure that in twenty years' time, I'll be banging on how good The Last of Us mm-hmm. was, right? You know, because it is his ace. We had a discussion before of the fact that you know, it's quite strange that gaming gets this kind of retro prefix on it when you're talking about classic stuff where yeah. music doesn't and movies F- don't. You don't say films. I'm really into retro films. No, no, However, I think that'll change. I do, I'm confident. Because even now, it's seen less and less as a geeky thing. Like, when I bought that Atari in 92, it was like, yeah, that's cool. Why have you bought that? <laughs> right, you know. And, like, now, I think it's become a big enough part. I mean, the magazine I write for, Retro Gamer, we're now on. I mean, yeah, of course we're a niche, but, I mean, we've been going, like, 150 issues. Mm-hmm. And you get on, you know, you, you get sold in WH Smith. You're thinking, well, we're no more a niche than bloody Cross-Stitch or, I don't know, some other yeah. you know, magazines that have been going that long. So I do think, I think that's a very valid point. No one says I'm into, I mean, they might, they might say about cars, maybe. But with films, it's good film. With music, it's good music. I think that will happen with video games. Mm-hmm. I suppose the only thing is, is that it, video games are so tied up with technology. Mm. So, like, in the early days of film, I can see why you'd go, you know, the leap from silent black-and-white films to, you know, Technicolor and well, sound. it was a hundred years until film got sound, really, wasn't it? Right, so, exactly. you know. right, so there's obviously some huge technical things we jumped through, and they're still happening with video games, right? But it's getting, you know, we're getting, we're getting dangerously close to photorealistic graphics. Mm-hmm. We're, um, it's interesting that the things that progress so much, like graphics... You know, but then you look at things that haven't progressed so much, like narrative and story, which are mm. still... I love video games, but the amount that goes, don't tell me, is it a zombie one? I mean, The Last of Us, which is one of the best mm. games this generation. Mm-hmm. If you look at the... It's still zombies and the yeah. end of the world. Yeah. It just it manages to bring humanity to that. But I think that'll... You know, maybe narrative's the next big thing. Do you think that the kind of innovativeness is... Mm been a bit lost recently as everyone's falling into the same kind of genres or again yeah. it's dangerous because we've, we've it's too scary to go yes yeah, in the 80s we're doing brown groundbreaking stuff yeah. yeah there was groundbreaking stuff but there was loads of other people that just cloned someone else's idea as yeah. any yeah? Mm-hmm. so um no i don't think the innovation's lost at all i think you have to look for it in different places i think some stuff that indie games are doing now a really interesting, especially around narrative, actually, mm-hmm. right? And the idea of like, what's a game? I don't, have you have you played? Everybody's gone to the rapture. No, I haven't, but I, I've seen oh, videos just, of it. I mean, that I just absolutely love that, but it's not really a game. It's not really a game. It's in like Life cool. is Strange. I played that. That was my favorite. Oh, it's game only good. Yeah, yeah, you love it, but again, you know, it's an interactive it's movie, really. Yeah, you know, exactly. And yeah. the I mean, that used to be a real term of abuse and interactive <laughs> movie. It meant it's a game where you don't do anything. It's a bit rubbish. But like those things are really exploring ideas about. So no, I'm really excited about video games still now I often think I should be less excited <laughs> but I am still stunningly excited and I hope I still will be when I'm 70 well you mentioned one thing before that when you you know you got back into the Atari scene you yeah. said um, you know your mates were kind of like oh it's a bit nerdy kind of thing and obviously the yeah. attitude has changed over the years do you recognise a point when you think it did I, I would say something happened in the noughties mm. don't, I don't think any before that because you'd still you'd still sometimes have a conversation saying are you a gamer mm-hmm. Right, and you, why you still sometimes say that? But now it kind of means: Are you really serious? You know, would you know some of the quiz questions that you get in the Broadway quiz? You know, could you name some? You know, how many Space Invaders was on the screen at the start? You know, that is you've got to be pretty nerdy to know that. But like, I think 
you used to in the 90s say, oh, you were gaming. It was a bit like a secret. Like, you are? Mm-hmm. Wow, what are you playing? Well, now, I mean, everyone plays games. Now, it might be Candy Crush, but let's not get snobby, mm. right? Candy Crush is very addictive. My wife and kids play that all the time. Absolutely love it, right? Mm. So, so you wouldn't say, oh, you're a gamer. It might be to what extent. It's a bit like saying, you know, do you like music? What music do you like? Oh, right, in that case, I'll tell you. So I think something happened in the noughties. With any historical change, it's not usually one thing that happens overnight. Mm-hmm. I think the we had a massive influence. I think, you know, getting your granny to play along with her grandchildren on a kind of level playing field was groundbreaking. I think the fact now that video games set, and video consoles sell so much. Back when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, you had one. You had a computer, you chose your side. You know, you either a commie or a specky, or for your, you know, an, an ST or an Amiga, you chose your side. You know, the only kids that had two were right posh buggers, you know, right? Who would, who's going to have two computers? And like, now the fact there's such a proliferation that it's, you know, you go into most houses and there will be one, two, maybe more. And that's not counting the gaming devices like on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. So, like, the platforms has increased hugely. The way people play. I think has changed. And whilst I'm still quite... I like a single-player game. I don't want a headset where American teenagers are threatening to teabag me. I don't want that. (laughs) I want to play a game on my own and enjoy it and be really involved in it, you know. And so, you know, I'm still a bit old-school, as you'd Mm. expect, like that. So, um, yeah, I'm saying the noughties. What what do you think? Do you think there was a pivotal I moment? Think, um, yes, one I'd say was yeah. the time when it kind of grew up because well, I remember being a kid that, you know, before that it was always video games were for... They kind of seemed like, you know, something that kind of prepubescent kids would yeah. play. And the PS1 came out, all of a sudden it had, like, you know, rave yeah. music soundtracks. I, and I think it was a bit before yeah. that. Mm. I think it was when the fighters were happening. Mortal Kombat. Mortal and, Kombat yeah. and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, more grown yeah. up. Mm. And they had, you know, Games Master was... Pretty edgy on TV, and he'd be <laughs> dropping Dominic in Darwin is in your endos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, that, that's interesting because you see, if you look at those dates, you know, if games started roughly about 1970, I know the actual the ad the roots. You're absolutely right in mm. computers and universities, but they started being commercial in the 70s. So they were for kids, you could argue into the 80s but then those kids when it got to the 90s were 20 somethings yeah. and so I think they were ripe for playing Wipeout mm-hmm. having it you know that it, it, I mean it did people forget it did seem weird I remember going to I used to go clubbing in the, oh, in yeah. the 90s I remember seeing a Playstation now I knew what one was because I was a gamer and I would use that word. but mm-hmm. seeing it in that um, oh god what was it Isis now? I remember I, in Isis they had uh, well, awful name now to say, but that yeah. was the name of a club. Yeah. Honestly, but, yes, uh, we yeah. are not preventing. <laughs> no. If only they'd got into gaming, we would, yeah. none of this fundamental nonsense. Would have been a, nicer place. Would have been a better place. Yeah. They had a Ridge Racer unit, yeah. all set up with PlayStation, and it was all free. You yeah. know, it's like a promotion that they were putting Absolutely. PlayStations into clubs. Yeah. To, exactly, and I remember yeah. that. I remember how amazing it was. And then and seeing, like, you know, cool, trendy people, not like me, who were out to go clubbing, playing this, and I was thinking something's changing. Yeah. Something's definitely Tony changing. Tony Hawk's so, yeah. skater in the skate shops as well, God, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I used right, to go yeah. to HSC and sit down there. <laughs> playing on a Tony Hawk. Oh, free gaming wherever you can get yeah. it. Hey, Ravi, well <laughs> done you, right, yeah. <laughs> Has um has there ever been a system that you thought was going to be massive that wasn't at all? 
All right, can I tell you first, I want to reverse that question. Okay. I remember very vividly, because it was at Screenplay, this festival that we used to run in Nottingham, I was part of, uh, is that someone brought a Nintendo DS, right, and showed it us, and we went, this is brilliant. It will never catch on. Because <laughs> it's it. I said, oh, look, you can touch it. What? How sweet. It'll be us four playing this. Mm-hmm. right? And I remember when that became huge, I was massively shocked. So, like, you know, that um, should have been... I'll say something really obscure. There was an interesting British computer called the Enterprise, which came out in the mid-80s, and it was really forward-thinking, had lots of expandability, but it came out kind of two years too late. So there you go. And okay. no one will remember that, the Enterprise. <laughs> I'll have to look right, that, that up, could, right? <laughs> That could have been really interesting. And Britain, again, had such a fantastic history of producing computers, mm-hmm. and then we kind of lost that That impetus. was a shame, wasn't it? Well, we were world leaders for quite a long time. I was part of this film, Bedroom to Billions, which looked mm-hmm. at the British thing. And it's such an uplifting film in the look how, you know, this tiny little island mm. of creative people and rubbish weather, so we're all inside playing around on the computers, <laughs> desperately trying to make versions of Pac-Man's. I never the lived 10B. Too, but yeah, probably. Yeah, rubbish weather, yeah. You know, we had all a real head start. And then, you know, with anything, business gets involved, which is fair enough. It w- we wouldn't be playing games now if business hadn't got involved, mm-hmm. right? But we certainly lost something in that. And, you, you know, can America see- and Japan overtook us. And well done. I'm not like a nationalist like that. Mm-hmm. They produce fantastic stuff. But you still feel a little bit, oh, we had all them computers and all you that. You can see how it was like a cottage industry as well from that oh. film. You know, it was really kind of... Bedrooms to billions explains how small it was. Kind people of, you know, don't understand. You know, like buying buying a game in the early eighties on a cassette. You know, you did not go to a shop. You sent off a postal order <laughs> to someone. I, I interviewed this guy called Andy Walker. who used to run a company called Taskset, who did Commodore sixty four games. And he said, literally, you just put an advert in, and you'd get like postal orders. And he said, me and my wife would sit here, right, and my little lad, right, get, it was like proper cottage industry in a cottage. And like, you know, he'd put the thing, the tape there, I'd be recording and pressing record, <laughs> put them in and we'd post them off. And it was all on them. trust, yeah. all on trust, you know. I remember they were even doing that into the late 90s with Special Reserve was one of the oh, biggest, God, remember that? Yeah. biggest mail postal order companies. Order, yeah. But it, no shop, nothing. It was all mail order yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the so, Amiga had that with the public domain scene as well. I always remember that was kind of similar. Yeah, you'd see them in the back example. of the magazines and you'd... Uh... The imports as well. So obviously you said you started with uh, the Commodore machines, the VIC-20, mm-hmm. the C64. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult question for most gamers to answer, <laughs> but what, what would you say has been your favourite platform then, the one that you've got most fond memories of? Whilst I'm not... I, I, the Commodore 64 and the Vic 20 is very hard to choose. You never forget your first time, do you? I mean, actually, I'd make a big argument for the Vic 20 because sometimes I see those big, chunky characters. I don't know if you ever used a Vic 20, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, have you? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're lovely. Um, is that they were so, it was so distinctive. I think that's the other thing is now if you buy a game on any modern console, it will pretty much look the same. Mm. But back then, it's like certain machines had very distinctive visual visuals so like looking at some of those vic 20 yeah, like the bleeding on the specy as well oh the color <laughs> clash stuff that, that yeah, don't talk to me about sinclair that stuff. um but um yeah i think that is because i mean i'm sure that i play some of them games and i play them for two minutes i mean some of my favorite games all oh, spiders of mars and cloudburst and oh they were just great but i'm sure now you look back and go i can't believe that i 
love this so much. Or some of the, I tell you, the, the lost genre of text adventures. Mm. That Zork was a huge part. The, one of the mm. first persons I ever interviewed for Retro Game was Scott Adams. Mm-hmm. In fact, he yeah. was the first person I ever interviewed. And it was a bit like I thought, I could stop now because he's my hero. <laughs> and like, you know, if you look back at those games, which again, some of you listeners, I would hope remember the idea of playing a game with no graphics, just text. And I realised going back to play them, there was such minimal, terse text. And yet, the places that it conjured up... I remembered exactly playing a game called The Cat. I could remember the bed, and I could remember the villages out the window. I could remember the dumb waiter. And looking back, that was like one sentence. Mm -hmm. And yet, it managed to create something in your life. So, favourite platform... You know what? I would probably have a Vic-20, even though I know that that's... What I should say is a SNES, Mm -hmm. which I'd have far more fun with. But... I'm a hopeless romantic. But you're probably like me. I mean, my, my first system was a Commodore Plus 4. My mum and dad oh, got that is obscure. <laughs> mate, that is obscure. In the late 80s, you know, my first yeah. machine, I was about seven years old. The VIX-20 was probably semi. You, you'd get a game, and you'd look on the, on the back of the box, and it would show you the screenshots, and then very small at the bottom, with a little asterisk, you'd be like, maybe from different <laughs> machines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. This hang on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole set of screenshots arriving before that, it was just, you know, often hand-drawn or elaborate descriptions, which, yeah, like you say, st- uh, yeah, stories seldom back, actually yeah. lived up to what you end up playing. But actually, I'm not sure that's true, because you brought... You still do now, I think. But, you know, you bring a, a good game makes you bring something of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, what, that's why it engages, whether it's, you know, Bioshock Infinite. You know, you bring a lot of yourself to it in just the same way that back then, you know, you brought a lot, partly because the graphics were... <laughs> so, but the thing is, people forget, they say, oh, the graphics were rubbish. No, they weren't. They were cutting edge at the time you were playing them. So they weren't... Ru- no one said, these graphics are crap. They're going to be much better in 20 years' time. Mm-hmm. No one said that. You were like, this is amazing because it's better than last year. This is amazing. So people that say, oh, yeah, we knew they were rubbish. But no, we didn't. They were brilliant. It's amazing how technology moves on so quickly, though, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned yeah. those early days of the graphics, and even thinking, you know, probably 20 years from now, the graphics, are, they, they might not look as dated, I think, because we're at that stage, like you said, where it's near photorealism now. But you even look like back to the PS2 at the time, like, it was jaw-dropping to me now. You look back and it's like, you know, standard you know, definition and 4x3. Yeah. Is it, I mean, yeah, you're right. You go back and play only that, only one or two generations go and go, Oh, God, it's a bit rough, isn't it? <laughs> Where he didn't say, because, you know, it went incrementally. Right? And it, to be honest, you just said there is that I'm sure we'll look back in five years' time and go, bit yeah. dodgy, look at that face. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was really weird, doesn't it? You know. Were Lara Cross boobs really that triangular? They, were they? <laughs> that was, it is quite were. scary, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, like you said, you've been writing for Retro Gamer for many years now. Does yeah. the. Uh, the success of that magazine ever surprise you? or Yes, of course okay. it does, yeah. And we did, uh, when it first came out, it was produced by a different publisher and it got to issue 18 and then the publishers went bust. I would like to point out, I don't think to do with Retro Gamer. I think that was doing quite well. Um, and I thought, well, that's the end of that little ride. And I remember feeling really sorry and thinking, I wonder if it'll rise again. Well, who knows? In another 20 years' time, someone will have a go. And then this other publisher, which we would now imagine publishing, picked it up. And, uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, in this, it's interesting that whilst people say, oh, you're really niche and it's surviving, mm. I'm thinking, well, no, actually, that maybe kind of makes sense because we are appealing to an audience who broadly grew up mm. where magazines were mm-hmm. your source of news about video games. Yeah. You weren't going on YouTube, Sunshine, were you? you know? So I wonder whether we've sort of built in a bit of a... <laughs> because people are those you know people in the 30s or 40s mm-hmm. are used to buying magazines that's what they did so it's quite normal and i do know how many people save every single one yeah 
right? And then I, the only time I've ever been asked for my autograph was by someone said, you know, will you sign my copy of Retrogamer? And it was only because they opened it up because my picture's in the front. Yeah. And, like, and I went to write it and I rather knew it embarrassed, like, you yeah. know, because my dad was there. It was at like a do, it was the launch of bed. And I said, oh, I've never been asked to do this before. And he just looked at me and went, not surprised. Took it <laughs> and logged off. I was like, Chit, thanks for that, mate. Thanks a lot. Not surprised. Well, not, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so I am surprised we've gone this long. Um, I'm also, what's, because I'm thinking, God, we've written about so many people. Mm -hmm. I tell you what's quite a proud thing is how often um, I see Wikipedia entries updated reference to retro gamer because oh, we've nice. actually talked to the per. That's a big thing because, you know, anyone on the internet can write about any game now. Right, and publish it. So you've got to have something different, which is, right, we always talk to the person that was involved with it or the people that were involved with it. Mm. And our editor, whenever he commissions everything, anything's like, oh, who are you talking to? Who is it? Who is it? Right, you know, and if you, oh, I've managed to get the person who wrote this game or did the graphic, that's cool. Right, okay. And then, so I'm quite proud with that. So you feel that, like, you know, without getting all sort of poncy about it, is that you, you feel you're contributing a little bit to the record of this. I've even saved every single interview, because I always do them, I never yeah. do them on email, I always do them either face-to-face -face or recorded them. Mm -hmm. And I've had this sort of pompous idea that I've saved them all, thinking, you know, maybe when I'm dying, and some of the big people that I've talked to will be sadly dead, mm -hmm. is that I'll go, well, there's their voice, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows, eh? Yeah. My donation but, to the nation. Are they ever hard to track down, these people? Yes. In the early days, right, there were some people that would have a presence. So there were some people that you could put their name in Google and they would have... In fact, actually, wouldn't be Put your na their name in Alta Vista yeah. or Yahoo. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 And they would have a website. So obviously, you've struck lucky there. That's great. Scott Adams, the yeah. first person I interviewed, had a website. So I literally went... Oh my God, he's got a website. And I remember emailing him and he said, Yeah, I'd love to. And he said, Yeah, happy to talk. And I remember going a bit ah, like this. Okay, so some people are. However, right, is that most people aren't. And they also, this is the thing, I reckon if you've been a pop star in the 80s and you're used to have been, you know, people saying you're wonderful, you're wonderful, even if 20 years people have forgotten you, I reckon there's a little bit inside you that those people think, I am still actually important, right? Now, the people that I'm trying to track down, you know, didn't think they were, a lot of them didn't think they are important in the first place anyway, mm. right? And in fact, are shocked and surprised when I go, I'm so delighted to speak to you, and they'll go, are you? <laughs> are you I've recently, only a few weeks ago, a chap called Terry Pratt, who was the launch editor of a magazine called Computer and Video Games, yeah. which is a really one of the first in this country... It was the first kind of games-orientated CPG. CPG, yeah. right? He was the first editor. So I managed to get in touch with uh, him. Again, now, so I've been doing it for so long, other people go, I've met someone that you will want to know, or I know. So it's all networking, right? And uh, he came with his wife because he wanted to donate some things to the National Video Game Arcade here in Nottingham. And he came with his wife and his daughter who studies here. Right? And I went, oh, so nice to meet you. So it's, it, can't wait to put these in. And he was going, well, I don't think anyone interested. They will. They will be really excited. Right? <laughs> and his wife and daughter are like, looking like rolling their eyes going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we arrived at the National Video Game Card, like, f uh, video game, okay. Four people go, Terry, how are you, Terry? Oh, it's, so, it's such an honour. Oh, you're Lords of Midnight. You brought Lords of Midnight. Are you going to autograph it? Right? And he's going, well, I didn't really know. And you could just see his wife and daughter looking at him in a different way. 
wet. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I told him the week after saying, thanks again for coming. It was great. You know that. He said, my wife has just, she's been going up in the attic looking for any old stuff for my <laughs> computer video game day. You're said she looks as yeah. you know, he said, you know, yeah, exactly. Said, I'm like, married to a legend. Don't, people, yeah, people yeah. don't realise what they contribute. So to answer your question, to try and track people down is that what I found very early on is who is most likely to know whereabouts people in the video game industry used to be work in the 80s, where they are now. The person you're talking to that used to be in the 80s. So now I've got into the habit of saying, like, for example, Scott Adams. I go, are you still in touch with? And mention all the people I could mm. remember. Yeah. And he said, he said, oh, actually, yeah. And he put me in touch with a lovely bloke called Keith Campbell who used to write the adventure column for computer and video games. And I remember going down to interview him in Brighton. And he, he died the year after, oh, wow. a couple of years after. And we just so we just got his story in print. And, you know, I remember his wife sent, very moving letter saying oh we thought that was all behind him that used to be such a big part of his life and then it all disappeared and you just reminded him how you know important his contribution was and how many people remembered you fondly so yeah, yeah. Mm. well i remember um with screenplay festival um matthew smith was one guy who'd been oh, missing God, yeah. for a long time and no one knew what was going on with him and then this was one of the i think the first appearances he actually did one after of the first his... he had he, he had been to i'd seen him in london which is where i'd met him he'd gone to a, a video game event there but then I asked him I said oh do you want to come and i think people didn't believe he was going to come until he literally walked through the yeah. door and then he was sitting uh, in the cafe and everything yeah That's matthew it's matthew smith, smith. <laughs> you know, like, so i mean that that was quite i remember that that yeah. was a really magical moment i mean i've seen him i only went up to see him last week in Liverpool. He still lives in the same house in Liverpool where he wrote Manic Minor and Jet Set Willy. He was just a kid then, wasn't he, when he did it? He yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, we've been talking about this on our podcast recently as well. You know, we covered the fact that um, there's a new Sega Mega Drive clone that, what is it selling yeah. like? Uh, it's selling 400% rise in Argos yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. really. Spectrum recreations as well. Yeah, the vein. They're uh, selling, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it is one every five minutes. One every five something. minutes of the new uh, Spectrum Really? What, what do you think of the fact that people are re-releasing these old systems now? Well, people are only doing it because they think they can make money, let's be mm. <laughs> not cynical, just honest about that, okay? Mm. Because it's something that I care about, I not only enjoy doing, but I kind of, yeah, think I'm glad we're remembering where this thing has come from. So people don't think it was invented with the PlayStation, it's quite yeah. a good example. You know, these things have developed slowly, and the people, the people behind them, they developed and learnt on those machines in the 70s and 80s that then helped them when they were in the 20s could start making games that we enjoy. So I'm really glad that people recognise it's not kind of as a year zero, like nothing happened before. So I really like that. It also saves on room because you have, you know, the Retron where you've got SNES cart you can put in your Mega Drive yeah. cart as well and everything. So, Do you like the physical sensation of, this sounds getting all sexual, <laughs> the physical sensation of putting a cartridge in? I mean, obviously you can play all them games on emulators, yeah. but do you like that? This is I kind of like cart- it, yeah. It's, but I like putting Why? in a VHS as well. It's, <laughs> do it feels you? Like you're, you're just weird. <laughs> right? So you like the physicality. That'll probably be massive again in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's quite interesting. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Well, they've just stopped a Betamax production, haven't they? Which is crazy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was bigger news that they were still making Betamax. Yeah, so they stopped. It's still used in professional video. But Paul it's makes crazy. an interesting point there, though, emulation versus the real deal. I mean, do you do you have many old systems still, or do you mainly use Yes, emulation? but don't tell my wife. Yeah, um, <laughs> yes, I have got loads of them, and some of them are really special. I mean, I don't know if you ever played a Vectrex, which was like a, oh, yeah. a vector console. Before, yeah. I mean, some of those you can't, 
you can't get the same unless you've got the actual hardware. It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I am. I do fetishize a bit about having the real thing, which is stupid, because you know oh, it is an interesting one. You know, like um, I mean, I've also got loads of vinyl. But again, I don't. I'm not one of those people that goes. Yes, but you see the vinyl. You can hear the nuances that you can't get on a CD. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm listening to Sonic Youth. I don't really think <laughs> you're going to check. You know, if I was listening to Elgar, maybe right. But I'm not. So it isn't. Video games are an interesting medium in that you know you can play pretty much exactly the same thing, but not on the original hardware. In fact, not exactly. Almost ex- you know, it's mm. digital. You know, well, um, I, I but there found- is something oh, about. The controls, I would say that's different, is that there's something about standing up with a joystick in a smoky pub. God, they're not smoky anymore. Wish they were smoky <laughs> anymore. Play it, vapes coming over here. Playing it. That is something different about the control thing. Go on, sorry. Uh, Robbie, I was going to say, just with the Vectrex, every single retro show I've attended to, all the technicians go crazy as soon as someone brings a Vectrex. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't want it to drain the whole power for the whole yeah, building. Yeah. 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 So if you ever want to send them into a fit, send them with one But I, I think, you know, with, for me as well, I mean, I, I love the Amiga. That was always you yeah. know, my main platform. But there is something about, you know, the click of the floppy disk drives and the actual the mouse of the Amiga and the keyboard. But, but, right, so that's it. Yeah. Something about taking you back. Yeah. I mean, for some people, if you listen to the, the tape-loading sound of games on Spectrum mm. or Commodore 6 with that horrible... <laughs> I mean, like, you know, for me, that, oh, my God, I'm 12 again, desperately yeah. trying to get the, the volumes right so the bloody thing will load, <laughs> right, because it takes 20 minutes, right? Yeah, and they'll have to start again. So those things, they're not to do with the games, they're to mm. do with childhood, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I like, I, I kind of like that as well, and it's very hard to disentangle you know, whether it's just, this is a great game, mm-hmm. right? Or whether this is part of a childhood and I and I miss that innocence. Yeah. And that's difficult. Well, maybe you don't have to. We, we've used, I even used a CRT monitor, you know, just for that, <laughs> for that original <laughs> feeling. It didn't look right. I went well, through about six or seven different LCDs. Didn't look right. Mm. Went to my mum's, got my old Philips monitor from the early 90s out. And the games, I saw, <laughs> that, this is how I remember playing these games, you know. It was being transported back in time. Yeah. Years. It's strange though because even like the 56k dial-up sound, yeah, <laughs> that will take me back. A you bit, see, when you, know. you start romanticising <laughs> yeah. about the 56k dial-up sound, something's gone wrong, Ravi. Yeah. Something's you, you look at that on YouTube; it's got like two million hits. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's been thank fascinating. You. Good luck with your endeavour. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure, and I really, really wish you well. And uh, obviously, we can catch up with you in Retro Gamer magazine. What's your uh, What's your next article? Uh, the what? Well, the next one actually. The the uh, the one that will be coming out in the next issue is all about a chap called Walter Day, who used to work for Twin Galaxies. Who's mm. in fact, this is actually. Can I finish on this? Yeah, right, this article. So it'll be out at the end of January, so a couple of weeks. Is that he has produced? Um, trading cards which are very big in America I mean in this country we kind of associate kind of football stickers you used to swap in the panini, 80s and 90s yeah, yeah panini exactly Chinese. well he produces that's right it's all coming back right <laughs> so he produces these trading cards and he's put them he's put lots of famous video game players video game designers and I interviewed him about them and I said oh um, I said have you got many Brits and he goes oh yeah a few but not enough so when this article comes out, we're going to ask readers of Retro Gamer and anyone who will visit our forum to vote on who they think ought to be recognised from the UK as contributing towards the culture of gaming. Um, and, um, and then he's going to get them printed. Amazing. So, uh, you know, so my vote's for Jeff Minter, I'd like to point oh, out. Um, so, yeah, the next issue, so come on, vote for who you think are the, the biggest contributors to the British video gaming culture. Look forward to reading it. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs>